and good morning to any guests that are with us this morning. I think there's maybe just a couple out there, and uh, we're glad that you're with us. We've got a bunch of our normal family that are away this morning, um, but anyway, we're glad that you're with us. My name's Jeremy, and I'm one of the pastors. During the early New Testament times, just after the ascension of Christ, there were some men who were going around sharing the word of Christ, sharing the gospel, and planting churches and building churches. There are names that many of you are familiar with. There's the Apostle Paul. A lot of our New Testament is written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a man who had, been, who had grown up with a world-class theological education. This guy knew the Old Testament as well as anyone alive at the day of the day knew the Old Testament. And not only did he know, know the New Testament pretty well, he was actively writing most of the New Testament at the time. So this guy, this guy was incredibly theologically robust, for lack of a better way to put it. There was another guy who was ministering to the church during that time. This guy's name was Peter. Peter. Now, if, if Paul was the white-collar academic Dr. Paul, Peter was the blue-collar dock worker Roll the sleeves up. He's wearing Dickies brand stuff, Carhartt brand stuff, right? Um, he's a little rough around the collar kind of guy. He loves Jesus, and, but Peter's kind of a, tells it, tells it like he sees it kind of a guy, right? Says something and then thinks, oh, shoot, I shouldn't, shouldn't have said that, right? I mean, he's putting his foot in his mouth all the time. Um, some of you maybe have seen the, the, uh, the new uh, miniseries called The Chosen, right? And I love the way Peter's depicted in that. Like a fist-fighting fisherman is, is the Peter of, of, at least of The Chosen's imagination. Peter certainly, though, was a very different kind of person than Paul was. There's another guy, we don't know a whole lot about him from the New Testament. There was a guy named Apollos as well. And the thing that we know about Apollos is that he was mighty in the scriptures and he was really good at articulating them. He was the kind of guy who could stand up and he never had any verbal clutter, never said, ah, um, uh, well, let me rephrase that. Apollos, I mean, you can just imagine him standing in front of a group of people and speaking exactly what he intends to say, doing so very clearly and passionately in a way that really rallies people. And the people in the New Testament times did just exactly what you and I do. I am a follower of Paul. You follow Paul? That guy? He's boring. I don't even understand half the words that he uses. He's so deep theologically, right? His, his head's so high in, in the clouds that you know, he's no good here on the earth below. I follow Peter. You follow that guy? Do you know how many times he has had to get in front of our local congregation and apologize for punching someone this week? Right? Oh, you know, okay, I'm, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm imposing a little bit of my imagination here. Right? Peter, no way, man. That guy, he, he hasn't been educated well enough to really be trusted and faithful with the Scriptures. I follow Apollos. Have you heard that guy talk? He's amazing. He is, I mean, and brothers and sisters, just like, I mean, it's almost like it's hardwired into us as humans to take sides and then compete, right? All weekend long, we've been doing it. I, I, I will confess, I haven't watched any football in a couple of years now. I know, what's, I, I'm, I'm losing it. Or I, I just, for whatever reason, don't care. But like, we love to establish ourselves um, uh, as, you know, with, with our teams and then compete against each other. 
we love to establish, I mean, and it, it hardly matters what it is, we want to con- consider that our choice in the matter is clearly better educated, better represented than anyone else in the room, right? Of, of course I would drive a Chevy because, and, then, and I, yeah, my truck's a Chevy. So, like, I, like I, I mean, I don't even, like, that. I'm lost on that game, right? Some, you know, you got the Toyota people and then the GMC people and the Ford and then, like, the pogo stick people. You're just going to drive a pogo stick everywhere. Um, so the vehicles we drive, the guns we shoot, the food we eat, the, like, we are just good at saying, I am of, I am of, I am of. And several times already in the book of Corinthians, the letter that the Apostle Paul writes to the people who live in Corinth, already several times he said, listen, don't do that. Stop doing that. Don't consider yourself I am of and I am of. and I like Don't establish your identity with someone else, on someone else. Um, and we, like, we want, what we want really is we're wanting a little bit of that glory. We're glory seekers, and so we want a little bit of the glory from that. That guy's really, I like him. I like his style, and I'm going to pull some of his magnificence into my life. I'm going to associate me with him. Brothers and sisters, I can promise you this, that there is no human Christian leader, man or woman, that will ever behave themselves in such a way as to never disappoint you. If you want to certainly set yourself up for dissatisfaction in the church, go to a church where you love the pastor and the reason you're there is because of him. And I, just, I, I promise you, it's just a matter of time before you're going to leave that church. Please don't come to Liberty Baptist because of me. Don't come to Liberty Baptist because of Matt or Will. That, that, like, we will... I forget, there was someone recently, oh yeah, I remember what it was. Someone recently, I was apolog- I had to ask their forgiveness. I said something really stupid to them, um, and it was hurtful. And I said, will you please forgive me? And I just thought, I, like, I tell people, it's just a matter of time before I sin against you, and I'm going to have to ask your forgiveness. Like, it's not if, it's when, and I'm going to have to do it. And I just thought, doggone it, I did it again. Um, like, we're, I'm, I'm a human. These guys are humans. We're humans. Don't come here. For the pastors, don't go and, and don't be of Jeremy McMorris or Jeremy Hamby or Terry Stegall or, right, you want to talk about Paul, Apollos, and, and, uh, and Peter, right? They, I mean, you got three different people with three very different personalities. But we kind of hardwire ourselves to be that way. And over and over and over again, Paul is making the argument, listen, don't, don't do that. And in the book of 1 Corinthians, the passage that we're going to look at this morning is Paul's final push. Don't be of, don't be of, don't be of. But he does this in a way that I think is really interesting. He's going to do this by making this point this morning. And this is the point of this passage this morning. Don't, don't make yourself of Paul, of Apollos, of Peter, because all of them are yours. In fact, Everything is yours. Not just, not just them, not just Jeremy, Matt, Will, Terry, Michael, Carlos, but everything is yours. And you might think, what does everything mean? Well, let's just read through this passage and talk about it here together for a few minutes this morning. In 
1 Corinthians chapter 3, we start this morning in verse 18, and we're going to read through most of chapter 4, a relatively long passage, and there's just a lot of stuff in these verses. I'm going to do my best to read through them and make just a few comments so that we understand where we are and what's going on here, okay? Remember, Paul's been talking about wisdom and foolishness, and the wisdom of this world is as foolishness to God, and the foolishness uh, or the the, the wisdom of God is as foolishness to this world. We've been talking about that. Verse 18, let no one deceive himself. If Paul tells people, be careful not to deceive yourselves, what does that imply? That it's, that it's easy for us to deceive ourselves. Remember, we're not different, we're not better, we're not, like, we're, we're Corinthians. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may actually become wise. Right? Hold to the truth of the gospel so that you can actually become wise. Verse 19, For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile, that they're empty, that they're vanity. So let no one boast in men. Verse 21, the end of verse 21, for all things are yours. Verse 22, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, and he's been talking about these great leaders, these great men, and we would expect him to stop there. But when he says all things are yours and then names those guys, he goes on to name some stuff that kind of surprises us a little bit. We're going to have to figure out what Paul means by this. Paul, Apollo, Cephas, or the world. That, that's pretty all-inclusive. Or life or death. That's pretty life and death. Or the present or the future, that's pretty all-encompassing as well. All or are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. All is yours, you are Christ's, Christ is God's. Verse 4, this is how one should regard us. Here's how you're supposed to think about Paul, Apollos, and Peter. By the way, the, word, the name Cephas is, a, is another name for P the Peter, the disciple of Christ. You're to, you're to think of us as servants of Christ, as stewards of the mysteries of God. It's required. It's required of stewards that they be found trustworthy or faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. What, what he's saying is, you, it, doesn't, it, doesn't ultimately, it doesn't ultimately matter how you judge me. And in fact, it doesn't ultimately matter how I judge me. I could be off. The end of verse 4. It is the Lord who judges me. Look, Paul's not taking it to a lesser degree. Paul's ratcheting it up. It, it's actually... It's not you who judges me. It's not me who judges me. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose not just the actions of someone, but the purposes of their heart. 
then each one will receive his commendation or his reward from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written and that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Don't be, don't be proud because I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? Right? Like he's saying it was a gift. If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it as a gift? Already you have all you want. And by the way, here in verse 8, Paul is speaking sarcastically. He, this is, this is a, a confrontational tone that Paul takes here in verse 8. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all. Like men sentenced to death. Because we have become a spectacle to the world. Okay, think about this for a second. This book, Paul is writing to the Corinthians. Corinthians would have been one of the cities that was part of this ancient Roman empire, a place where spectacle was something that was sought after. You'd buy tickets and go to the amphitheater and watch lions fight against each other and men fight against each other and other, like all kind of wild, bizarre things. You would go watch the spectacle. That's the word Paul's using here. We are like some kind of freak show to the world. We have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. We labor, working with our hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Let's pray. God, there's a lot here. And today is another one of those days where I feel like uh, I am insufficient to communicate these truths. I, ultimately, I am insufficient. I pray that your spirit would help me communicate and that your spirit would help my brothers and sisters understand the things that are written for our encouragement, for our confrontation, and for our blessing today. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I've got five points this morning. Five points this morning. That's a lot longer than usual. And I'm just going to walk us through, but I am going to try to walk us linearly, linearly through this passage of Scripture. And I want us to see, ultimately and finally, we're going, to, we're going to move our way toward understanding that phrase, all things are yours. Okay, This passage, again, though, is Paul's, it's Paul's final push regarding the teaching that he's been doing about don't identify yourselves as I'm of Paul, I'm Apollos, I'm of Cephas. And the first point that we'll see here is he's, he's telling them this because, number one, Christian leaders are not your identity. Christian leaders aren't your identity. Verse 18, don't deceive yourself, don't trick yourself, don't think that you're so smart by identifying yourself as 
a, 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 a Pauline, an Apollosian, or a Suffician. I made those up right there. God's value system is actually backwards, remember. The wise of this world are foolish in God's eyes. God's wisdom is foolish in the eyes of this world. Remember that God's value system is different, that God's value system is backward, and don't, don't find your identity in another Christian leader, another Christian ministry, another Christian denomination. Don't identify yourself in that way. And brothers and sisters, I'll have to be honest, as I've worked through 1 Corinthians, this has confronted me several times. And I've kept kind of excusing myself a little bit with, yeah, what, they're, what they were doing is different than what I do. And then I thought, but there have been lots of times where I've identified myself as a Christian who is of, and then I would name a Christian leader or two or three. And I've just had to take this passage, and I'm just telling you, like, this is just personal application here. You take this and make personal application to you. But I'm telling you, I've been convicted because I've been guilty of taking certain Christian individual leaders or certain Christian movements and kind of saying, I'm of such and such or I'm of so and so. And as soon as I say that, it means I'm also not of these other Christian people, these other Christian movements. And Paul, by God's inspiration, is saying, stop it. Stop identifying yourself as of this kind of person. We're going we're to keep, this whole sermon is, is going to be unpacking why, why this would be. Don't identify yourself with men. Number two, and, and these points are not all going to be that short. Number two, Christian leaders, for, number one, Christian leaders are not your identity. Number two, Christian leaders are judged by God. This is continuing on in the passage here. They are judged by God. Verses, uh, chapter 4 now, verses 1 through 5. Paul says, this is how you're supposed to think about us. We are servants and stewards of the mystery of God. Slaves and stewards of the mystery of God. I think, I think you understand the idea of being a servant and being a steward. Let's just make sure that we understand very clearly that when you're a servant, when you're a steward, you serve at the desire, you serve at the will of someone else. I, I, throughout my life, I've known a number of different people, and I've even had this kind of job before, where you're taking care of other people's stuff, right? So I had a friend, um, and he worked for a very, very, very wealthy, this is when we were in college, for a very wealthy man who had all sorts of super cool vehicles and a big mansion kind of house and all that sort of thing. Well, on occasion, my friend would show up driving my friend's BMW, I think it was a Z2 or Z3 at the time, this is, you know, 30 years ago. And, and you know, like, I'm like, man, that's awesome, that's cool. And, and, but it wasn't his, and it wasn't his to do with whatever he wanted to do. He, he was filling it up with gas, give, you know, washing it. That's giving it a wash. Um, it's not like it is a person. Um, take it, but he was taking care of this vehicle. He was taking care of this man's, uh, gr- you know, garage and this man's grounds. And he was a steward of this other person's stuff, right? Can you imagine, again, we kind of have the idea a little bit with, a, with a, like a UPS guy. Can you imagine if the UPS guy showed up at your house, but it, nothing was in a box or in a bag, like he was wearing the sweater you just ordered, right? And you'd be like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. No, no, no. You're just a steward. 
You're just bringing that thing from point A to me. Someone else intended me to get that. It's not okay for you to be you know, using the phone that I just ordered or working on the computer that I just bought. That's not okay. Servants and stewards merely work at the beck and call of, of their master. And so Paul is saying, listen, we are servants of Christ and we're stewards. We, we steward this message. Again, think in terms of, I mean, we don't have, they didn't have um, uh, answering machines on phones back then. And so, like, if, if you're going to get a message from one person to another person and you're going to use a messenger, you want to make sure that the messenger communicates very clearly what's supposed to happen. I, um, there was a time uh, years ago when I was working as the assistant to the president at Bob Jones University, and the president asked me to get a message from him to someone else. And in the, in the, in the message, he had indicated, and do not indicate such and such. Well, I missed the little word not. And so I did communicate such and such. His message to me, do not communicate such and such. I went to the person and said, such and such. I'm just going to communicate that to you right now. right? And then I went back to my office and I read the message that he had given me to relay to this person. And I, my heart sunk and I thought, that's it. I'm, I'm fired and probably dead. There's probably like a way I'll go to jail for this. Um, I did a very poor job of stewarding that message. Uh, by the way, I did not get fired, and neither did I go to jail, and they didn't shoot me. Um, I actually did. I called my boss immediately and said, uh, I did exactly opposite of what you asked me to do. I'm sorry. I did not read the word not in this, uh, in this message that you sent to me. And he fussed at me for a minute, and then he said, thank you so much for letting me know. Um, it's going to be okay. Um, I wasn't a good messenger. A good messenger is someone who takes the message and accurately brings it to the people that you're supposed to share the message with. And this is what Paul and Apollos and Cephas are doing. They are, they are stewards of the message of God. And, and Paul says, listen, here's what you judge a steward by. Here's what you judge a servant by. Not their, not their articulation, not whether they're white collar or blue collar, not how long their sermons are, not like, here's what you judge. Are they faithful? And, and sometimes faithful isn't really snazzy. Sometimes faithful is pretty just steady the course, right? It's not always the part that's going to make the, the YouTube reel or the Instagram clips. And, 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 and God tells us the thing that we're to measure his servants by, the thing rather, let me put it this way, the thing that God will measure his servants by is faithfulness. Faithful to the master, not pleasing to the crowds, but faithful to the master. And sometimes it's actually the servants, the stewards that are most faithful to the master that kind of get in our grill and get in our face and confront us a little bit. And we don't, we don't like that about them. I don't like that steward because of what they said. And then you think, well, yeah, what they said actually was in the Bible, it was God's message, but I don't like them because they said it to me. Makes it, it makes it easy for us to misjudge um, the stewards. And Paul even articulates very clearly here, this is what they're supposed to be measured by. This is what God will measure the stewards by, their trustworthiness. And then Paul is almost flippant here in verse 3. It's a small thing that I should be judged by you. Now, I wish, I wish that in my heart and in my mind I could feel more like Paul. I am a man-pleasing people 
man-fearing people pleaser. That, that's what I struggle with. I wish I could be like, it doesn't matter to me what you think. Paul, to some degree, has this attitude. Your judgment, now I don't know, maybe he struggled with this more, but what he was stating objectively is, your judgment of me is not the final analysis. I do not stand or fall based on your judgment of me because your judgment of me can be wrong. And in fact, I don't stand or fall based on my judgment of me either because my judgment of me can be wrong, but... There is someone who will judge me. In fact, brothers and sisters, it's clear throughout Scripture, there is someone who will judge everyone. And he always judges perfectly, justly, and perfectly righteously. Others, and even ourselves, can be unreliable. So be careful about stating with final judgment the faithfulness of one of God's ministers. Friend, be very, be very careful about stating with final judgment the faithfulness of one of God's ministers. And, and by, by be, be very careful, I mean don't do it. You are not God. You are not their final judge. Be careful. Be careful how you speak of other ministers, of other pastors, of other denominations. Listen to God through Paul, tell you, do not pronounce judgment before the time. One pastor says this, this sums up our common experience of evaluation. Premature judgments made by self-appointed authorities who possess limited knowledge of the situation and whose opinion holds no true weight. That happens often out there in the social media world. People on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever else is out there, Tic Tacs and stuff like that. They make premature judgments by their self-appointed authority. They have extremely limited knowledge of the situation, and their opinion holds no true weight over the situation. Brothers and sisters, be very careful. This does not mean that we are to be undiscerning that we're not supposed to listen and go to the Scripture, and it doesn't mean that you can't call out error in someone else. I'm talking about, I'm talking about stating final judgment on someone. That man is godless and wicked, and he's doing the work of the devil. You need to be very, very careful with that pronouncement. I believe there's a difference between being discerning and being condemning. I listen to Christian leaders and think, I think he's wrong because of such and such. And on occasion, in conversation with people, I will say, I believe that so-and-so is wrong because of such and such. But, but here's a question that's helpful for us to, to ask ourselves as we think through these things. Have they lost or confused the gospel of Jesus Christ? If they've lost the gospel of Jesus Christ, then they are preaching a different gospel. That's clear and objective. If I'm not going to be in heaven with someone, then, then I need to call out the error of their, of their ways. If I'm going to be in heaven with someone, there may still be times for me to offer correction to them. But if Christ has made us brothers, the final judgment has already been rendered by Christ. And I need to kind of keep my mouth shut and wait 
on God's perfect assessment of this other person. It's so easy. We can do it like this. I don't have to know the person. I don't have to look at them. I don't have to talk to them. I can, I can even just hit share. I don't even have to write the, criti- the criticism. I can just hit share. You know, so, and, and this hits close to home because I have had, without, I don't want to give any details away, I've had very dear friends of mine who have been grossly misrepresented in the media before. And there was just enough truth to put a whole big smear campaign together. And, uh, and I thought, hmm, so when I hear of other Christian leaders who have been condemned for such and such, I just need to be careful. I just need to be careful. Um, I could spend more time talking about that. I want to I make sure that my words this morning are, very, are directly out of Scripture and not just Jeremy's opinion. Paul says, you're not omniscient, so don't act like it. You're not omniscient, so don't talk like it. You're not God. So don't act like him. Because God is God, and God is going to render judgment, and God is going to speak like God. Paul says here in these words, trust the one who does judge justly. Trust the master of the servant. Trust the master of the steward. One pastor says only the owner of the household can determine if the steward has been trustworthy in the management of the estate. And Paul states that very, very clearly here in verse 5. Yeah, verse 5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, because it's, it's the Lord who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Friends, God does know everything. He will judge and he will do so perfectly. Let let that comfort you. Let that comfort you. Some, and again, the specific application here is in regards to Christian leaders, but the application throughout the New Testament is clear that God God does know and judge everyone accurately and perfectly. There may be some in here this morning and and, um, and you're, you're thoughtful, you're mindful of the wrongs that other people have done to you. And you think they still haven't paid for it. People still think I'm the crazy one. People believe their story and God knows the truth that that's not true. Friends, you're not God. They're not God. No, one, uh, no other human being is God, but, but God is God. And God does know the things that are hidden in darkness. And God does know the intents of the heart. God knows them, and he will, on that day, bring them to light. God, let this encourage you. But encouragement isn't the only thing. That's not the only response to the reality that God knows what has happened in darkness and that God knows the intents of the heart. Friend, let that also convict us. God, God, and there is, there is a final judgment where God will separate the, the, the Christians from the non-Christians, the saved from the lost. But even amongst Christians, there is a, there, there is a um, what's the name of it? The, the, uh, the, the judgment where God will 
reward those who have served him faithfully. There is some kind of judgment that will happen. There's an assessment for pastors who shepherd their, their flocks. God knows everything. He will judge and he will do so perfectly. Let that comfort you and let that convict you. And the specific context here makes it clear that Paul is referring to the leaders who are founding the church. This principle is clear in other places as well. Matthew 25, 21, this is a parable of the different talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. These stewards are rewarded and judged by God himself. So number two, Christian leaders are judged by God. Number three, number three, Christian leaders are gifts from God. Do you remember in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets. This is talking about God. God's the one. God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God gives ministers to the church for the building up and the maturity of the church, their gifts. Look here again in chapter 4, verse 6. I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not? Why, why, do, why would I boast about Apollos? Why would I boast about Paul? I didn't make him. I didn't bring him to me. I have nothing to do with staying attached to him. He's a, he's a servant. He's a steward. The gifts that we have, brothers and sisters, point to the goodness and faithfulness of God. Everything you have, everything you have, including the people who steward the truth of Christ for you, are gifts to you. You aren't awesome because you have good gifts. The good gifts prove that God is awesome. I've been given some really cool gifts throughout my life. And those gifts indicate the kindness, the generosity, the thoughtfulness, the graciousness of other people. If we went into my office right now, we could go to my desk, and on my desk was this really cool handmade custom knife. Well, there's several, uh, but I'm thinking of one in particular. And, and Uncle Ron gave me that knife years ago. Actually, Uncle Ron will be here. Some of you met him. He'll be here next, next Sunday. Um, Uncle Ron gave me that knife. What that knife proves is not that I'm awesome. I didn't make the knife. I didn't buy the knife. I didn't know about the knife. Someone else who is awesome showed his love and generosity and kindness to me by giving me that knife. It, it just shouts the glory of someone else. Friends, all of the gifts that we receive in our life, all of your gifts have come to you from God. What do, what do you have that you did not receive? There's one answer to that. Nothing. Your bank account, you received your mental abilities, your mental capacity is a, is a gift from God. Your beauty is a gift from God. Your truck, your whatever, whatever it is that you might be inclined to glory in, it's something that you received. It, it, 
it's an indication that there's someone way greater than you. And, and we kind of want to let those things indicate, I'm pretty great. Look at all my gifts. Look at all my stuff. I mean, can you imagine from God's perspective, like his, well, he's not flabbergasted with us. He knows that we're flesh. But from God's perspective, for us to be down here bragging about the gifts that we have, like you can imagine like a five, six-year-old kid, right, who kind of strutting around after a birthday party where he's been lavished with gifts, thinking that he's awesome, right? We received gifts from him. Let's not boast like we did something to earn them. For a moment, think about what God has given you. Some of you may be puffed up. That's the language that's used here in this scripture. Don't be puffed up. Some of you may be puffed up because of what you think you've, you've done for you. Don't you know that everything you have is a gift? Everything. None of you made something out of nothing. You received it from God. And friends, your life, your life should point to the good gift giver. And remember, remember to love the gift giver more than the gift. I've used this illustration so many times. Can you imagine if I was sitting on my couch at home looking at my wedding ring, just loving my wedding ring? At home, just like loving my wedding ring. I just love it. It's gold and it's so just wonderful. And my wife's in the kitchen needing help with the dishes, but I'm busy because I'm loving my wedding ring right now, right? Like it, it's, it, everybody's like chuckling because it's really funny because it's absurd. Brothers and sisters, we do this with the gifts from God. We get our fingers on them, we get our hands on them, we get our hearts into these things, whether it's different men and different ministries or whatever the, the case may be. And Angie's in the kitchen needing help and we're loving our rings. There's some kind of weird Lord of the Rings analogy that I should probably be using right now, but I'm not that smart. I haven't read those yet. Number four, Christian leaders are fools for God. Christian leaders are fools for God. We read verses 8 through 14, 13 rather. Paul lays out a biting critique of the Corinthian believers here. He says, oh, you're already kings. This letter is confronting them for the wicked behavior in their church. I mean, as we continue into, especially what kind of once we start chapter 5, which is going to be Will Perkins' task in two weeks, I, I decided I, those verses are too scary. I don't want to preach on those. So Will's going to ta tackle those for us in two weeks. Paul says that we're fools. The, the, the words, and there's so much we could unpack there, but the, the, in general, verse 10, we are fools for Christ's sake. We're weak, you're strong. We're in disrepute. We're hungry and thirsty and poor and homeless, et cetera, et cetera. We're like refuse of all things. The refuse of all, that's garbage. That's like sewage, the refuse of all things. And what's going on here? Here he is pointedly addressing their self-assessment of themselves, that they are good. They're wealthy, they're comfortable, and they have their own wise men to identify themselves by. And Paul goes on to say, that's not, that's not the way of the Christian. Let me ask you this. Have, have you ever felt dumb for something even though you knew it was right? You took a position, you took a stand, 
And everybody in the room, everybody around you, your family members, your friends, everybody was like, that's not, I see heads nodding. I love that. Friends, often as pilgrims here, we're going to feel that way. For the, for the sake of Christ, we are fools at times. We are perceived by those in this world as being fools. The message of the cross is considered foolishness to this world. We carry the message of the cross. Therefore, we are considered foolish. So have you ever been considered foolish for carrying the message of the cross? Ever. And if your answer is no, then there should be some follow-up questions, right? Are, are you carrying the message of the cross? Or are you carrying the message of American health, wealth, and prosperity? See, we want Christianity if it will add to our bottom line, not if it costs us our bottom line. Think about that for a second. We want a Christianity that will add to our Western American comfort creature, health, wealth, and prosperity, the bottom line. That's the kind of Christianity that we want. But are we willing to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Him, even if everyone in the world considers us weak, in disrepute, foolish, and if it leads to hunger, poorly dressed, homelessness? These are almost nonsensical comments in our culture. These are not nonsensical comments to a great deal of Christians around the world today. And just because we aren't experiencing it doesn't mean that we're the ones who are right and they're just somehow strangely suffering. I'm not sure what to do with passages like this. I'll be honest. I'm not sure exactly what to do with them. Paul is saying it costs us everything, money, comfort, and reputation. The lie of health, wealth, and prosperity needs to be confronted regularly in our Western context. Did you become a Christian so that it would give you money, comfort, and reputation? If that's why you became a Christian, it is quite possible you didn't become a Christian. You just furthered your self-worship with church stuff. Now, we have skipped an incredibly important part of this passage. I told you we'd come back to it. Let's jump back to it now. Point number five, and this is where we'll conclude. Number five, they are all yours in Christ. Paul, Apollo, Cephas, these are men who are not to be identified. You don't identify with them. They're going to be judged. They are judged by God. They're gifts to you. That was my fourth point. They are fools for God, but they and everything are yours in Christ. Chapter 3, verse 21, the second half of verse 21, all things are yours, whether Apollos or Cephas, or Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death, or the present or the future, all are, you, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Okay, I am going to use this illustration. I have really wrestled with whether or not to use this illustration this week, um, just because I thought, man, will it help illustrate it? Every time I read this verse, I think of this. Some of you already know where I'm going with this. Some of you are like, what on earth? Russian nesting dolls, which I have always been fascinated with. Okay? So we've got some Russian nesting dolls here. Thank you, Jordan. These are from Jordan. Okay. 
Let me read this verse again and see if you can kind of figure out where I'm going with this. 21, all things are yours. Verse 22, whether Apollo or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Okay, this represents everything in the world. I know it's the smallest one. This is why I'm not sure if this illustration will work or not. But it works in my, in my weird brain. This is so helpful. This is everything. This is Paul. This is Apollos. This is Cephas. This is life and death. This is everything in the world. Your present, your future, everything. Instead of identifying ourselves with these things, by these things, Paul says, look, all of those things are yours. All of those things are yours. This is you. You are Christ's. This is Christ. And who is Christ's? Or who, in, in whom is Christ? And Christ is God's. All things are ours. If we are Christ's. And Christ is God's. Let me try to explain this. In the context of discussing the value of Christian ministers, Paul says, all things are yours. Jeremy, didn't you just say that following Christ will cost you everything? Yes. This is not a reference to health, wealth, and prosperity. If someone uses the verse, all things are yours, and they say, God, all things are mine, and so I know you're going to give me that raise. They are misusing this verse. All things are mine, and I know you're going to give me that health. You've misused the verse. All things are mine, and I know that I'm going to have a banner crop this year. You've misused the verse. That's not how the verse is not intended to say that. There aren't any verses that are intended to say that. This is not a reference to that. This is not a name and claim it theology. You can't just speak a word and accomplish something. You aren't God. Your words aren't God's. What this is saying is that there is a God. And he has sent his son Christ. And if you are in him, then all things are safely yours. All things are made okay and non-threatening and even life-giving because you are in Christ. If you have put your faith in Christ, then you are his and Things and people are yours. Let me read to you one pastor's comments. They don't have to demolish themselves in pursuit of the world because the world is already theirs. Life is not something to be achieved or earned. It's already theirs. Death is not something to be dreaded. It has already been defeated. The present and the future can be fully embraced without anxiety or worry or alarm. They are already ours because of Christ. Look again in verse 22. So Paul is a servant of Christ to serve me. And, and Apollos, him too. Even though I might see some things in Apollos and think, ah, I'm not really crazy about those things in Apollos, but he's a servant of Christ for me. And Cephas, too, and Peter, too. I think I personally would have struggled with Peter. I think I would have been more of a Paul guy or an Apollos guy. I don't think I would have been a, so much of a Peter guy. But, but wait a second, but, but Peter's mine as well. He's a servant of Christ 
for me. He's a steward of the message to bring the message of God to me. All of these men are, are for me because of Christ. And the, the world is mine because of Christ. Everything in the world is a gift to be enjoyed, not a possession to be grabbed. Not something that I have to have in order to prove my identity. And life, I can actually live now and forever because of Christ. And death is not to be feared because of Christ. And my present, I'm good to go. I have everything that I need because of Christ. And my future, though it may look threatening, though the doctor's um, prognosis may not be incredibly exciting, though my banker's prognosis may not be terribly exciting, though the trajectory of my children may not be where I want it to be, it's okay. I'm okay. I'm okay because of Christ. Everything is okay. Everything is mine. Nothing is threatening because, because I'm in Christ and Christ is God's. I don't know if that helps you or not. It helps me. All things are mine, and I'm in Christ, and Christ is God's. The way of the cross, being in Christ, is not simply a means of salvation. The way of the cross is a, is a value system. All things are mine now. And brothers and sisters, if you're not in Christ, if you've never turned from your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, then all of these things are threatening. I, I do identify myself with certain men and movements and positions. I, I do look at the world as something that's to be, to be, to be uh, treasured and, and gathered up into barns and to held onto and, and protected, and I, I have to have the world. And I do look at life as something that's threatening, and I look at death as something that's really threatening. And my present is uncertain and unsure, and my future is really uncertain and unsure. But in Christ, all of those things that would threaten the fire out of me are no longer threatening because of Christ. And there's not a Paul, Apollos, or Cephas that can do that for you. They, they aren't saviors. They're servants. Th that's what this phrase means. All things are yours if you're in Christ, since you're in Christ. He's writing to believers here. All things are yours because y'all are in Christ. So are you in Christ? If you aren't in Christ, then all of these things are threatening. I was thinking about this this morning, and I hope, hope to be able to make this make sense. Brothers and sisters, Christianity... Christianity is a laser beam focus on Jesus. That's what Christianity is. Jesus. It's not, a mor it's not about a moral code. That stuff's included, but that's, that's the cart after the horse. It's not about denominations. Those things happen because we live in a broken world. It's not about doctrinal statements. Christianity is 100% about Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. He is the one who brings all things safely to us. Christianity is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's all, we, we use this phrase so often it becomes meaningless, but it, may it never become meaningless to us. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus Christ. 
what he has done for you to make you okay with him and the Father. Those, those other things are only helpful, the moral codes and denominations and doctrinal statements and servants of Christ. They're only helpful as they aid us in our knowledge of Christ and our love for Christ and our service to Jesus Christ. Christianity is about a relationship with him. You enter into that relationship with Jesus Christ when you repent of your sins and trust in him to be your savior. You spend the rest of your life here on earth growing in sanctification, your relationship with him after you're saved, and you will forever be with him in eternity. And that's all because of what he has done in his perfectly lived life and sacrificial death. We're going to keep struggling with sins I look around this room and I am keenly aware of a lot of the different circumstances of a lot of your lives. And so because I know those stories about so many of you, the ones that I don't know any dirt on, I just assume that you're erect like the rest of us. Nobody's here because we're awesome. Nobody's here because we're awesome. What do you have that you have not received? Your life stinks and you need a Savior who lived a perfect life, which he did for you. This is the good news of the gospel. This is why Paul says, hey, all things are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. It's all about Jesus. I didn't, I didn't marry Angie to get a ring. Most days I don't even look at the ring. But I, I do look at her every day. I do love her very imperfectly every day. I do communicate with her every day. It's about a relationship. The ring is a almost unnecessary byproduct of the relationship. Brothers and sisters, Christianity is a laser beam focus on Jesus Christ. Knowing him, loving him, growing to become more and more like him. We're going to spend eternity with him. Everything is yours because of that laser beam focus on Jesus Christ. Father, would you please help us to understand these words today? With your head still bowed and, and your eyes still closed, I'll ask Vicki to come to the piano. We're going to sing in just a few moments of our Father's love for us. I think there's a lot of application here this morning. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I, I trust that today you will repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done. For the rest of us, we may need to repent of letting so many other things be what we love and be our identity and ask God to kind of renew that laser beam focus for us, that love for Jesus Christ and him alone. You may need to repent of finding other people to be your, 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 uh, the person that you identify with or Maybe you've, got, maybe you've got sin in your life, and you, as I talked about, the judge who will perfectly judge the hidden things, and you just realize, I, I need to repent of that now and make that right. Maybe, maybe you need to talk with someone or spend some time between you and the Lord. We hit a lot of important themes here this morning. My hope, though, this morning is this, that you will leave knowing that all things are yours in Christ. Father, Please help us to that end. I'm going to ask Vicki just to play maybe through one verse or so of the song that we'll sing together.